1: Welcome back to the Welsh History Podcast. Uh, This is what I would call a bonus episode. I'm not going to call this one of our main episodes because this is more or less for everyone who is uh, going through, like I am, having to work from home. Uh, Hopefully, if you are sick, that you're able to recover okay and nothing further happens. It's a crazy old world right now, as we all know, and if you've been listening to podcasts, we're all talking about it. But... uh, With that in mind, what I wanted to talk a little bit about today is my experience with family history. So I'm not going with uh, the usual script, which I sit down and write out. This is just for my own personal background, my own personal experience. So I don't need to refer to anything other than maybe my history and my family tree. But other than that, yeah. So with that in mind, um, let's begin, shall we? So... When researching family history, of course, like everybody, you start with people you know. Um, I'm going to tell you that a couple of different things that, that, from my experience as both someone who's studied history and as someone who's done family history. You learn pretty quickly that there's a lot of stories in your family tree which turn out to be, if they're not false, they're definitely not quite the way they're described. I think you kind of look at it like the way we tell stories as people we tell talk and and express ourselves in certain ways and give out kind of ideas in certain ways and and sometimes those can be well not a lie um certainly says that uh they can be jumbled you know things can be mixed up some things happened that you didn't think could happen Um, it turns out people mentioned at the time aren't necessarily there. You know, there's all those kind of things. So, I mean, I've had family history stories that were told for decades in my family, which turned out to either be, if not true, then slightly mixed up or, or mistaken. My mother, for years, couldn't figure out the name of one of our ancestors and constantly got the last name wrong. And so you can see how, if they're doing that, it's getting into... Everything about it. And uh, and it falls to you as a researcher to make sure you get your facts straight and get everything correct and make sure your spellings are correct. And and knowing that, you know, people in the past aren't going to always spell everything correctly, aren't going to spell everything right, aren't going to do the things in a way that makes sense. Sometimes um, it makes things trickier. And let me tell you, Welsh history is no different uh, on that front. As someone who's done his own family history and and looked into things, there are some lessons that I learned very quickly, which I wasn't expecting. And as I've gone on to learn about it, um, I'm learning more and more just how complicated it can be. And and we all hit roadblocks. So, So be aware that if you're doing this, you're going to hit roadblocks from time to time. And sometimes you just can't get past them, sometimes you do. So to go into it in a little bit more detail, for my own family history, my my Welsh ancestry is Williams and Jones. That's about as, you know, Welsh as you get really. Uh and then it passes on into many different other last names and, and peoples. And but the interesting thing and what makes it easier for me than other people is most of my ancestors on the Welsh side pretty much stayed in one area. The Llin Peninsula is pretty much where all of my immediate ancestry stayed. And if you look at the size of that area, it's not big. So tracing some things makes it a lot easier. Like I was lucky in the fact that my my grandmother's side actually stayed in one house for a couple hundred, well, for about a hundred years. And in that period of time, again, going back to family stories of how it was built and why it was built and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, the, the story goes and, and that's all I can say. I don't have any proof is that it was a building that was built over a, a one night, which is why it was so small and such in a cottage because they were given the allowance to build something as long as they could get it up on one night on whatever land they wanted in that village And so they built this little tiny cottage and uh, having been to it and seen it, it's, it is a very small cottage. Uh, It is, I couldn't imagine raising like three or four or five kids there. Never mind some of, you know, not as common in my family, but I know some families like on my mom's side, for example, they had like 10 kids, you know, so trying to fit them all into that little tiny space would have just driven you crazy. And of course, in history, in this time period, you didn't necessarily have walls to separate you from your family. So everything is experienced <laughs> together. Uh, so there's that partially for heating purposes and all of that kind of stuff. So it, 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 there's reasons for it. But nonetheless, um, <clears throat> interestingly as well, the, uh, or at least interesting to me, maybe, is the fact that the house itself was passed down, instead of what you'd expect as a paternal uh, inheritance, wherein it would go to the oldest son, it actually went to the daughter, typically. And so it would change last names all the time. The owner would would be a different last name, but they were all still traceably related for, like I said, for about 100 years, right from the end of the 1800s till the beginning of the 1900s. And the house still exists. I've been to it. Uh, It is tiny. There is no doubt the fireplace is massive in it, uh, as you can imagine from a from an old, you know, Georgian slash Victorian home, and it is very, uh, very interesting and in it. it sits on a really cool spot. And I've always thought, from time to time, I'd love to buy it. But regardless of that, uh, it is in a place called Rue, which is spelled R H I W. Uh, if you look on Old English maps they spell it ruE which makes sense if you're thinking about it from a pronunciation standpoint but from Welsh spelling standpoint obviously it makes no sense. It is uh, a little tiny village really small. So how did I find all that? how did how did we get to that point? Well for me it was all about going to I, my mother and my father, and my grandparents had already done a bit of work. They traced back a few generations. Not a lot like I think to my great-great-grandfather on the one side, and my great-great-grandfather on the other. And that was about it. And that was as far as we had gotten. And so this is, you know, before the days the internet was really big and, and the usage of it. And so there wasn't, you know, a lot of family history documents online. You couldn't find anything unless you went to the source. Uh, so you kind of had to stumble along. So for me, what what ended up happening was I moved to Britain, and in the process of moving to Britain, and specifically moving to Cardiff, when uh, I had done that, one of the things I did was I went to Aberystwyth, which is where the National Library of Wales is. And it just so happened that they had censuses on file there that I could look up, and then more importantly, they also had transcripts from various... Uh, parishes. So one of the biggest things that you're going to find when you're doing your own family history is that parishes are kind of the bread and butter of a lot of things because government record keeping is very, very minimal Uh, the farther back you go. And certainly by the end of the 1800s or the beginning of the 1800s, you lose much of that. And really at that point, the religions are the only people keeping track of anything. So marriages, births, deaths. All of that kind of stuff is kept track of by the church, whereas the government only really keeps track of that for a very minimal amount of time in history. So you don't have a lot of evidence of stuff from a government standpoint unless your ancestor went into the military or if they went on a ship, because you'll get those sometimes informationally, like if they crossed the ocean, I was able to track my ancestor's. Uh, when my grandparents came across the ocean for the first time and then my grandmother when she went back for my grandfather's funeral, um, I was able to trace those based on that kind of information. So you can look up some information that's helpful from a government aspect, but but it's very minimal and it's very centralized in the 1800s, 1900s and forward. You don't really get it before that. And, of course, censuses censuses go on in that period of time and don't go on before that really. So you don't really have lots of evidence before, well, basically in Britain, I would argue about 1820, 1830 range. It all gets very vague after that. So what you want to do is you want to be able to find your relative at the beginning of the 1900s, you know, when, when kind of like usually your grandparent or your great grandparent were alive Track them down and then work your way back from there. That's the easiest thing you can do because it's people you actually know. You probably have some, some details on their life. So you know where they were born. You might know when they were born. You know, that kind of information. And you can start from that and work backwards. And with online stuff, you have opportunities with places like Ancestry.com or .co.uk or .ca or whatever else the designation is to actually look more of this stuff up. And centralize your searches so you can actually get very specific about different things. So nowadays it's a little easier. But I got lucky in my search. I ended up finding my ancestors, my great-grandfather and his wife and their son, my grandfather, um, along with the rest of the family, in a search. And because of that, I was able to go back and find his, my grandmother's family And as it turned out, my grandmother's family was easier to trace back beyond that. And quickly, I strung up on the fact that through the censuses, they were living in a house called Frano Olu, which uh, means effectively like light on the hill or that kind of thing. It's a very religious kind of idea. And uh, it was there, that little cottage that I'd found. It was named as Frano Olu. And because of that... I was then able to go back and through the records, trace back the possession of that house through my family tree. If you're like me and eating healthy is a bit of a problem, let me bend your ear a little bit to eat stress free this spring with Factor's Delicious, Ready to Eat Meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including Popular options like Calorie Smart, Kato, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggies. Also, discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Get chef-prepared meals on the table in two minutes with Factors Ready-to-Eat Meals so you can get back to doing what you love this spring. Also, if you're looking for gourmet meals, try meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, truffle butter, broccolini, and asparagus. We're celebrating Earth Day all month long. Look out for the Earth Month Eats badge on the menu for our lowest carbon footprint meals. Head to factormeals.com slash welshhistorypod50 And use the code WELSHHISTORYPOD50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. That's code WELSHHISTORYPOD50 at FactorMeals.com slash WELSHHISTORYPOD50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. History is the greatest adventure story.
0: If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. My name is Tom Kearns, and I host the Anglo-Saxon England podcast where I cover the history and culture of England from the departure of the Romans in the 5th century to the Norman Conquest in 1066. So far, we've surveyed the collapse of Roman rule in Britain, the migration of the Anglo-Saxons, and the history of Northumbria from its beginnings in the mists of legend to its destruction at the hands of Viking raiders in the 9th century.
1: I hope you'll come and give it a go. Which is amazing now, of course. You had to verify a lot of things. So this is the other thing. Just because you find that doesn't necessarily mean it's accurate. You now have to go back and you have to double-check everything. You've got to go back, double-check records. So one of the things I ended up doing at the National Library, which was very helpful, is going through the Bishop's transcripts. Now, these days, most of them are on microfilm or microfiche. You can scan them that way. Weirdly, with this particular set, they hadn't done that yet. And the copy of microfilm that had been done, I'd actually seen later was so awful because unfortunately they're taking pictures of it and they're mass producing these things and they're not checking, you know, this is before the days of, of digital films. So you can't go back and look and say, okay, that picture looks right. This picture looks wrong. They just did massive shots of each thing, took it, developed it, and then didn't care. And a lot of it you can't even read because it's so faded and, so what immediately comes clear is that the ink and that is fading on the document. Things are brown to light brown, and sometimes they can go a really weird sort of silvery shade. So then that makes it impossible to read on a photo, uh, a microfilm photo. And so a lot of that work really just gets destroyed in that process. And you really need someone to go in with a digital camera and take pictures. I ended up going back and taking probably about 50 years worth of digital photos of those transcripts uh, a few years, well, number of years later, decade later, trying to get the information I needed for that because I wanted to be able to uh, at least have something and be able to take it home and go look at things at home, uh, whereas you don't get loads and loads of time to do this otherwise. So with that in mind, that's what I spent time doing. And as I said, because you also... Have to check censuses and other records to make sure you've got the accurate person because, of course, especially in Wales, you're going to have common names. William Jones is going to exist in a lot of places. For example, that's one of my ancestors, and well, actually, a couple of my, maybe even three of my ancestors. Uh, and Williams, there's going to be loads of Williamses kicking around too. So you can't just assume like I have I have a, a great great grandfather named Owen Lloyd Williams, a grandfather named Owen Williams, and his father was William Williams. Those are not uncommon, needless to say. So, those kind of things mean you have to back check, fact check, double check a million times over with your records and details as much as possible because it's super easy to get the wrong person in those circumstances. Um, and I think that's something I'm, I'm, always cognizant of is that you need to double check and it's very similar with history you can't assume one source is perfectly going to be accurate there's going to be problems you always want to double check um and fact check those kind of things so for me that's that's something i always look at and i always think about so when i'm doing it i, I will try and and i'm better at it at times and than, than others as you would know from experience, it's very difficult to to identify, and there's been times where I've been absolutely stumped. I'm like, I think this person's the right person, but like, I don't know, uh, because the information is so vague. Like sometimes you'll get two, you'll get a name, you might get a year, but you don't got a place, or you do have a place, but not the year. And now you're looking with that kind of information, and now it's really complicated, and so it takes a lot of time and effort, and realistically, you could still be wrong, but you make the best of what you got so here's some specifics to welsh history i will say that are key like i said if you need to get a hold of stuff and you can't get it online um the welsh national library is great it does have a lot of the records to hand touching the records is unbelievable uh i was flabbergasted when they brought out a shoebox with all these documents in and i had to flip through <laughs> and it was just like oh okay uh so i'm Picking through two, three, four hundred year old documents, stumbling my way through. Also, so some fun aspects you run into with Welsh history that you might Welsh family history that you might not run into with others. Um, I can't say that for sure. I just know from my own experience. Um, last names are a bit vague. They can be sort of like I've got ancestors where there are one last name on one person, a different last name on the their child, and a different last name on the succeeding child. And it's all down to the fact that last names or surnames as we have them today weren't considered terribly important because you were still using patronymics a lot of times. And when you're using a patronymic, the so-and-so son of so-and-so or so-and-so daughter of so-and-so, you you don't look at surnames as being critical or important or specifically necessary. And especially in poorer parts of Wales going into at least the 1800s, that was not a big deal, and most people didn't care. It was the English that cared, and it was the English that kind of enforced that idea upon people where eventually everybody ended up with a surname. It's also the reason why surnames are so common in Wales because effectively when the enforcement starts to happen, a lot of popular names are out there that just suddenly become the last name of you know your your dad was William or your dad was John or your dad was Evan. So they're very Anglicized names, but all of a sudden they're your Welsh last name. And of course, in some cases that meant things like son of, which is ap in Welsh or ab sometimes, uh, can get merged with your name. So you end up with like maybe your last name is Rhys, but now it's Price in Canada or America or Britain um, because it was actually son of Rhys or "Priest." um you have things like richard same sort of idea that's where you get things like pritchard um so all of that kind of stuff happens there and in some cases worse yet for family historians um because of this last name vagrancy um what will happen is is suddenly you'll have an ancestor that doesn't have a last name that matches anybody you know on your list. And the reason for this is because sometimes last names were given by a... They would get the grandparents' last name. They would be given the father's last name, the mother's last name. Or, more particularly interesting, they would be given a godparent's last name. So you could have a kid that doesn't have any last name that relates to anybody else because of this because of course you're not going to know who the grandparent the godparent is because unless it's on a record somewhere you have no concept of that but all of a sudden you've got this this Angered Jones who's daughter of Mary and John you know Richards who you know what <laughs> so so now you're just left confused and so that's kind of the stuff that that'll happen and 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 kind of leave you wondering what's going on and so be aware that can happen, and if you understand that, it makes things a little easier. Uh, the other little issues that you run into, a well, little not so little, is that um, obviously, unlike in North America, for example, where we have numeral houses, uh, they have named houses. Britain is filled with named houses that's it was very common i mean you didn't number your house it was whatever designated name you gave it so you might find like i had one ancestor who his 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 place of birth was actually his address on on the sheet that i had but i had no way of knowing that until much later and got very confused by that because it was great because once you knew that you knew exactly where this gentleman was born um, in the fact that he was born in a, you know, a, a, a pub slash hotel becomes very obvious once you know that, but until you know that those names of places can also, instead of just refer to the town, can also refer to the name of the building, it does get a little confusing, a little, little mixed up. And of course, if you're not au fait with Welsh spellings, that can throw you off because of course... They'll put spellings in there that you're not familiar with and you don't understand or you don't know where the breaks are because normally there's a break between here and here and here, but you don't realize that because you've just seen it as this gibberish on a page. So all of those things are kind of important to understand and and as you're going in, those are the kind of things you have to make your way with. The other thing that family history, I think a lot of family historians struggle with, is handwriting because of course as you deal with handwriting um if you can't piece out what's being written it can get tricky especially the older and farther back they go i noticed this with the bishop transcripts specifically because they start out very clean very tabular and then as time goes on they become paragraphs of information and then they become no paragraphs so it's just one big long run-on sentence for two three pages so those are the kind of things you have to be aware of. That's the kind of stuff you have to understand. Um, all of that stuff is, is important, um, so keep that in mind. Uh, with all of that said, um, it's a lot of fun. I, I found it really fascinating and interesting. If you're interested in history, certainly family history is an important part to go into because your understanding of your ancestors – will inform you of your history, which nobody else can do. You know, 99.9.9% of us don't have some famous relative who's going to be easily found in all this information. Most of us have a bunch of farmers and fishermen and, and miners in our lives who who are significant to us but didn't leave loads of marks, you know, maybe not, couldn't write even. We're, you know, just simple people living simple lives, And there's nothing absolutely wrong with that because we're all simple people living simple lives. But the reality of it is it does mean that you have this unique experience of learning about them and learning who they are and learning what their role is. And and I learned so much about one of my ancestors because he worked in one of the only mines in the area. And so I had to look up this mine and found out that yeah, it's still there. There's still they don't mine in it anymore, but they, they you can actually go splunking in it. And it is still existing in that respect. It's still there in a way. You know, you're you're not gonna go back and suddenly find Julius Caesar's an ancestor, but you might find people who had interesting lives who led interesting lives in their past that, that, like I said, you get to honor because you're maybe the only one who ever does. And let me tell you, if you have somebody who's done that for you, the value of that as a historian is Im- immense. And do family historians get things right? No, they do get things wrong. They, they do pick up family history stories that are patently false and repeat them ad infinitum, um, because they don't know any better. And, 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 I'll be one to put my hand up and say, I did that myself. Um, but over time, as you get better and as you, you you learn kind of how to discern what's good and useful and what isn't, I think there's a lot of value in that. And I think you end up very educated on all of these things, which I, I for me, I think is the biggest and happiest part of it all. Uh, you end up with this, Puzzle of information that you didn't know, and you learn so much in that process that I think gives you an advantage later on. Because when you're trying to do research for something else, you have this experience of okay, well, if I do this and I go there and I look here, and I know how to use the internet to my advantage to find what I need to find, a lot of things will become a lot easier and and help in ways that you never thought. Um, When I was at university, I took a course in library science. Never thought it'd be terribly important other than, you know, just as as a course that I needed because you had to take it. It was a mandatory course at school. And at university, what I didn't realize I was going to do there was I was going to learn a skill that actually helps me today in the work I do out, you know, in my actual paid work. Uh, because what it was all about was teaching you how to do research, how to look for things, how to find things on the internet, to be able to splice things down to find the details of a search and be able to cut out as much nonsense as possible to get to what you're looking for. And it's not something that – it is something you need to learn. It's not a skill that just people go, oh, I know how to do this. No, you have to learn it and you have to be taught it. And in the process of that – it gives you a life skill that you can use in multiple ways ever after that. And I think it's, it's a key one and a good one to do. And certainly I think we all can use in our daily lives when we're going through, you know, dealing with people who are posting fake news and all of these other fun things that come along in, in our modern lifestyle. So certainly for me, it's, it's been something of a a very handy tool, but Anyway, without continuing too much farther than that, I just wanted to kind of give you an overview of, of a little bit of the work you can do. I, I will say, as it, it, as I repeat myself, but it's very rewarding. It can be very st- much a struggle. Uh, you can learn things you don't want to learn sometimes, uh, and that can be hard to deal with for some people. Um, case in point, in my own family... On my father's side, my uh, my Welsh ancestors had an issue at the beginning of the 1900s where my great-great-grandfather ended up being killed in a bar fight. Uh, it was supposedly in a, in a pub he owned. And because he died, uh, and there's lots of rumor and innuendo as to what started the fight, which, you know, uh, again, this goes back to is this history or is this just what the family thinks went on. Um, and so because he died, my, my great, great grandmother and her children all got put into, into the workhouses, uh, which were very popular at that time. You hear about them. Actually, one of the more famous, uh, descriptions of them comes out of Charles Dickens, a Christmas Carol, because of course, Ebenezer Scrooge says that they pay for the union workhouse and the poor should go there if they need help. Um, And the comment back, of course, is many would rather die. Well, the reason for that is is because that was a government-run workhouse. As you can imagine, in that era, they weren't necessarily the nicest places to be. And, of course, the perception was if you had to go there, you failed and you are a bad parent. Your child has learned from a terrible person uh, because you're poor. And so they would more or less take the children if they could work and send them off to apprentice at other people's houses, learn the Christian work ethic, and uh, get them away from this bad influence, for lack of a better word. And that, I think, surprised me in a way I wasn't expecting to read about this particular workhouse in a report by the House of Parliament that was done at the time period when my, my ancestors are in there and seeing how much damage it did to the family relationship that they were in there to the point where my grandfather never talked to his mother after they got out of there. Um, so you you understand what it does. But like I said, this is not something that – like you know, a war hero or something f- fantastic that people talk about for years and years and years. They're not going to put up a statue about this, but for your family history, it matters and it, and it influences life right to today. I can guarantee you that that experience from my grandfather influenced his moving to Canada and has a lot to do with why my family worked out the way it did. And it, it's important to know and understand that so for me that was a big clue into kind of how our family has grown over the years since then so those are the kind of things that you can kind of get to grips with and understand you know like I said there's good and there's bad points and there's there's things about family history that's wonderful and can it be a slog yeah absolutely don't expect that it's going to just be wham wham I'm going to find out all this information really quick no it's going to take time and effort and you're going to get stumped and you're going to get frustrated, and you're going to sit there and wonder why you bothered. <laughs> but all of that said and done, it is rewarding. And if you have an interest or an inkling to do it, there are ways to, to to get help. And if you don't really have the interest or inkling, you can hire people who will do it for you. And, you know, they've been trained in dealing with those things. And some of them you can find in Wales. So if you have Welsh Ancestry they will look for you there and and they have tools and abilities to get the things that you can't. So all of that said, that's our bonus episode for today. Um, regular episode coming out next week and probably I might do another bonus episode or two over the next couple of weeks as we have to all sit indoors. I hope you found this valuable. If not, we will never do it again. <laughs> uh, but I really hope you found it valuable and interesting and until next week, everyone, take care. Have a great day. And uh, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, you can reach me at the Welsh History Podcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Welsh History Pod or on Facebook. You can join our community at facebook.com forward slash Welsh History Podcast. And uh, until next time, everyone, take care. Thank you and uh, have a great day. Bye. Been
0: a Distractions Media production, and for everything we do, check out distractionsmedia.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies, big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, Please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.